This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're watching Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, Episode 9, Sing, Sing, Sing. I will not have this from you, from anyone. My whole life, I've been disappointing people. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Santa Muerte. I don't join the union. I join the force. I'm not Chicano enough. I'm not white enough. I'm not Catholic enough. I'm not cop enough. I'm not anything enough. But what I am is Tiago Vega. And the woman I love sits here. You can turn your backs. You can walk away right now. But this is who I am. Jesus, you should have been a priest. <laughs> I love you, Tiago. But you drive me mad all the time. He's a Vega. Welcome back, fellow Penny Faithful. We're talking about the penultimate episode of Penny Dreadful City of Angels, episode nine, Sing, Sing, Sing. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Dreadfuls and Penny Faithful. Um, we are, yes, back for, dare I say it, Sing, Sing, Sing. Um, <laughs> uh, I am one of your other hosts, uh, John. Unfortunately, this week, Chris cannot be um, here to join us. Mm-hmm. Um other things are, are pressing for him. Or is it because we have banned him? Because this has a lot of singing in it, and we do realize that Chris's singing does make ears bleed and glassware crash and break uh, yeah. across the world when he uh, goes into his usual renditions. Uh, you'll have to figure that one out. Um, dare I say it, it is the performer. But uh, is it the latter? (laughs) Yeah, we didn't want to inflict singing on anybody from Chris. No, it's not that reason. Unfortunately, just uh, other things have taken precedence this week for this episode. I know that uh, we're hopefully going to get him on uh, for a quick uh, chat in our feedback section. We'll we'll hopefully record that later in the week and put it into the episode uh, later on. But it's just myself and John here talking about this episode. I suppose we should start off uh, by saying that uh, this episode did come from with a warning from Showtime, uh, given that everything that is going on in the US, uh, the moment at the end of this episode, episode is probably quite distressing for a lot of people uh certainly was watching it uh, myself uh, and, and john when we watched the episode it's certainly a distressing end to the episode so we understand if uh, if this episode may have been very difficult for everybody to watch uh, given the subject matter but as always this show is challenging and it has been challenging throughout the series and some of the topics it's discussed and some of the things it's shown on screen um so it's it's not out of character for the show to push things this far in in, in what it's dealing with in the real life situation that was going on at the time and the situation it's referencing as john logan has said it is a, a parallel to what's going on at the moment in the world so um so yeah I, I understand that people may have found this episode quite difficult to watch yeah i mean absolutely um i i think the thing is is that lynchings happened um to to people um mainly people of color uh, and it can be traced back to a whole range of 
racist, violent people, yeah. um, of which uh, that can also come from the police force, yeah. uh, as we're seeing. Uh, so I think it, it's, it, it is one of those things that is um, both timely in, in its depiction, uh, given what's happening in the US, and also it is a sensitive issue because mm-hmm. it does conjure up um, fairly bad images of times past but uh i think uh we you know in in the same way as uh maybe the the whole thing of whether it is pulling down statues or contextualizing statues and you know this is contextualizing what happened and in some ways uh the legacy of of these actions all compiled together to provide you know that root and branch of uh systemic racism and violence i suppose towards people that don't conform uh whoever that may be absolutely so um yeah it it is yeah and sadly not too far in history unfortunately as well so so. again it's another challenging one and that Mm -hmm. is a great thing coming from penny dreadful as derek said um John Logan did say that it was addressing the current state of affairs mm-hmm. um, by looking to uh, the past. Um, if we cannot learn from history um, our mistakes of the past, then, uh, yes, we probably are doomed. But I think with that prophetic announcement from yeah. myself, I think we should get into our spoiler-filled review of um, the City of Angels penultimate episode, episode 9, Sing... Sing, sing. I love that uh, that this episode is called Sing, Sing, Sing. John gets a lot of, uh, we call it sick uh, in Ireland um, for his Liverpoolian pronunciations of words that end with G. Uh, but he gets sick from everybody, really, because uh, the Liverpoolian accent uh, kind of has that side of it uh, where you will instantly know that somebody's from Liverpool when they pronounce the word sing that way. <laughs> yeah, I also get a lot of uh, stick from my friends in um in the south of england that i went to university with because of how i pronounce my how i say air or hair i obviously don't say it like (laughs) that because i'm putting that on but yes i can go her and er because i'm i come from the north yes absolutely um and uh part of your past john part of your past exactly (laughs) um come from the north king in the north and all that stuff well king in the north yes uh hmm King. Right, well. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent stuff. (laughs) Right, let's get into the episode itself. Uh, As normal, we'll discuss the episode. There was a lot of joy in this episode as well, I must say. Absolutely. Something really uh, interesting about the Vega family all coming together in this episode. Really, really enjoyed. But uh, the episode itself was directed by uh, Daniel Attias. Uh, He's been directing since the mid-80s. He directed right back to Miami Vice, but he's really been involved in almost every single show that you could think of. Any, Any American show, pick an episode, he's probably directed our the show he's probably directed he's been uh, nominated for the director's guild of america award for tv direction for the sopranos for six feet under for homeland he won for his episode of the wire which was in season five a great season of the wire uh, the right wire was one of those wonderful shows that really built and built and got better and better with each season and knowing that he was there from i think he directed four episodes uh one from uh, from each of or from four of the seasons obviously four episodes uh, but for the fifth season he won his he won his award uh, for uh, for direction on TV, which is really cool. Uh, you can really tell there's a style to him in this episode. Um, we have t- spoken about him before. He directed an episode of The Boys, John, uh, episode oh, seven. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, you'll remember the episode because it had a very <laughs> uncomfortable scene with the deep. 
Um, the, yes, I think it was a date with a very abusive woman who yes. liked to touch his gills, yes. shall we say. Yeah, very um, uh, yes. Very difficult episode as well. It was. Uh, but a great episode as well. Uh, a great job by Daniel Apsis in this episode. Uh, we did mention it before. John Logan has written most episodes of all of the show, and he has returned uh, for probably the final two episodes. He usually uh, likes to round out the show with his personal touch on it. So this is a John Logan written episode. And I think you can tell as well, like I have loved the last few episodes but the dialogue just sparkles uh, in the hands of of john logan some of the conversations that people have with each other in this episode really f- you can feel the imprint of john logan and how he writes his characters and how he writes the dialogue between between the characters and this was a big episode absolutely for many reasons. I, I think as well this this whole episode had just a crescendo mm-hmm. it, it really felt like music and music plays a big part of it but there was an absolute crescendo of of beats uh, just gradually building up to that whole crimson cat scene with the Vega family that just was magnificent. I really, really, really enjoyed uh, this episode. Mm-hmm. And I think in between there was just some lovely uh, moments between people, whether it was from her goss and Louis Michener. Oh, yeah to just a small one between uh, Elsa and Maria, mm-hmm. you know, to that fabulous cameo of uh, Brian Dennehy mm-hmm. um, coming in as uh, Jerome Townsend, father to Charlton Townsend, Councilman Townsend, all really, really interesting yeah. um, and just really good. Uh, so, yeah, I can't wait to get into uh, this episode. Absolutely. Well, John, do you want to tell everybody what they gave us with the synopsis for this week's episode? Episode 9, Sing, Sing, Sing. Sure. In danger, Tiago and Lewis must make bold decisions. Lewis heads to confront Hergos and must reconnect with the mob boss, Benny Berman, to protect Dottie and Brian Koenig. With Townsend at the end of his rope, he is forced to turn to his own last resort, his tough father, Jerome Townsend. Spurred by Elsa, Peter decides to take Tom, Trevor and Frank to the movies to see Robin Hood. Meanwhile, Maria convinces Raoul to take her on a mother-son date to the Crimson Cat, while Lewis oversees the prison transfer of Diego Lopez to San Quentin. Tiago and Molly also go dancing where the Vega family converge and confront their demons to the sounds of arguments, love, laughter, and reconciliation, just as the transfer of Diego goes horribly wrong for Detective Lewis Michener. Mm, yes, it does, yeah. Tough, tough end to the episode, but as you say, how how stylistically this episode was put together is just wonderful um, right the way through from the arguments that are going on between the Vega family with the dancing and everything that's going on and then that being intercut with this gruesome moment uh, at the end of the episode is uh, masterfully done by the director and writer. Absolutely. I I think it's really interesting, you know, penultimate episode where there's an awful lot of nastiness going on and okay, that still underlies um, a lot of what's going on in in this episode for sure, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's Kurt going to to, um, Dottie's house, uh, whether Mm -hmm. it's uh, Councilman Townsend meeting uh, effectively almost being interviewed by his father in in a very estranged way there is the dark undercurrent through this but i I think it's really interesting that this penultimate episode had such a crescendo of happiness reconciliation of the vega family and you were kind of just like punching the air going yes this is so good to see them enjoying themselves Uh, and then immediately it's stamped on with 
potentially what is to come because of what happens to Diego mm-hmm. uh, with his transfer to San Quentin yeah. uh, and the lynching. So the positivity of the Vega family is is kind of wiped out with what is to come. I mean, I think there's even a, a great line that's mentioned that, you know, tonight we will, um, you know, we, we put this past behind us, yep. we enjoy ourselves. Um, and unfortunately, I suspect smart. that the the actions of the LAPD um, will uh, cause that rift to reopen uh, with the Vega family. Mm-hmm, uh, but I hope not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, as usual, with the way we do our podcast, we choose a format for how we do our podcast for all of the episodes. And of course, as we get towards the end of the series, our format always breaks. Uh, this time, because we have no Chris and there's lots to talk about, so choosing one big moment is going to be a bit difficult here. But we will kind of stick to that. We'll play around with it a little bit. Hey, you just want to hear us talk about a, a, a wonderful episode of TV, so I'm sure you guys don't mind. Nah, absolutely. John, do you want to kick us off with your big moment for the episode? Sure. It's the lion and the cockroaches. Mm. Um, it's Lewis confronting Goss uh, at the private club after the attack on him and Tiago. Um, I, so good. Yeah. I, I love the fact that um, you really see Lewis fired up. You know, he he's angry here. Uh, you know, he, he says to Tiago, you ain't seen what I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the whole thing reeks of Nazis. I like the fact that they play out the different scenarios of who it could or couldn't be. It's a good um, idea, wasn't it? Because I think that was the big question that everybody had after the last episode, because you just weren't sure whether, after seeing Kurt in the episode, you weren't sure whether he would have been the one responsible. But he's not the only Nazi in town either, so they could have hired somebody else to get the Tommy gun out. But I love, as you say, both detectives talking to each other and kind of marking everybody off their, their mind list of who could be involved. It was really smart and i just like those little additional details that you know the the v12 car that he's got mm-hmm. has been absolutely banjaxed um it's ruined and you know the the it's almost the fact that you know he has been injured but he, his concern is the fact that he's now going to have to try and get a car another car and it's not going to be the v12 yeah version uh, because of what he had to do to get that exactly. um, and so I, I love that favors yeah that exactly I, I kind of really like that but for me this this confrontation between Lewis and Goss uh, at the private club was just great um, you know two men of stature in different ways um, both trading blows against one another mm-hmm. you, you, you know you have this 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 stature of Goss, who believe you know he's a he's a professional architect. He he effectively runs the the Nazi espionage bureau at, to some extent, or uh, interests within LA. Yeah. He's got people working for him. He's very confident uh, man, very wealthy. All all of these things, and I, I love you know he talks in that way about Lewis coming into the lion den, mm-hmm. um, and you know he should be wary not to kind of poke that that sleeping lion, and and at the other side of it you have Lewis who is this proud um, Jewish man who is angry because of the the murder of his two friends uh, but but also with what just happened 
uh, to him and Tiago, that attack on him. And he knows that he's got other people that he's having to protect. So he's fired up. He's angry. Mm-hmm. Um, I and love the confidence of him as he walks into yeah. that room as well. Like, you know, they do reference the racism that's there where he walks in there and is told this is a club that, you're, that he isn't allowed into because it's a members-only club kind of thing. I love his response to it, just going, well, yeah, my rabbi told me that. Uh, so he's instantly going in there and going, I know I don't belong here. I know people like me are shunned from this place. You keep us all out, but I'm going to walk right in here, say what I need to say before I get thrown out by these people. I think that's just a, a really good impression of the kind of person Lewis is. I think that, that's really that good. says, you know, you have Lewis absolutely determined mm-hmm. um, in this in this moment, I mean, even just that putting of the gun down in oh, front so of Goss, goading him to to shoot him, to mm-hmm. get it over and done with, because if he doesn't, he will come after him. Yeah. And um, But Goss, equally confident in his own position, uh, despite those threats um, from Lewis. And I love this trading of blows of the, the information that they have against one another, mm-hmm. that they're using to try and put each other off kilter you know lewis talks uh about no- knowing goss who he's working for effectively who he's been meeting mm-hmm. um and and all of this uh, and yet goss comes back and and you know counter trades with this whole knowledge of brian and importantly then lewis's estranged families yeah. this is the first inkling that we realize that Lewis has got um, other family members still alive in in the form of his um, son and daughters who now are having grandchildren. That yeah. he's, I mean, there is that moment where Goss says, you're going to be a grandfather. Again. Uh, but again, you know, and it's it's really the semantics of this wordplay, um, I just thought was really, yeah. really good. And it feels even more threatening when he's saying to him, you know, I, I know you're estranged from your son and your daughter and you haven't really met your grandkids but the kind of extra layer to it when Goss says, your daughter's pregnant again, you're going to be a grandfather again. That extra layer of threat to it that not only does he know all this stuff from paper, he may have recently seen Lewis's daughter. He may have been very recently monitoring her actions. He may currently have somebody who's watching everything she does in case things go wrong with Lewis. And she, the threat is there that he's going to kill them not kill Lewis. So yeah. it was an interesting play, the idea that he'd come into him and go, and don't kill any of my friends, kill me. But that's a, that's not Goss. Goss is absolutely going to after all of your family, absolutely. not after you. Yeah. And and the whole thing, you know, we're roaches. Um, the harder you stamp, the more we crawl to the corners. Mm-hmm. Great kind of um, sort of image of, of that. Um, and, uh, the you know, the parting line is of... From Lewis to Goss, it's not the lions you have to worry about; it's us roaches. And mm-hmm. um, just to really say that, you know, we've we've got your your number um, up here. Yeah. We know who you are. We know what you're doing, but we still need to to get to you. And so, I, I really like this. And I, I think, you know, th- these bold decisions that he's got to make now. So he, you know, he knows that um, Goss. Uh, knows Brian is being hidden. Mm-hmm. Um and so Lewis's immediate thing is to to head back to um Benny Berman, who the Jewish uh, mob boss, uh, uh to get uh protection for for both Dottie and, and Brian. Yeah. Um and I, I love that we have this just in time moment here as we have Kurt lurking um around Dottie's home 
ready, I think probably just to assassinate her and to take Brian back. And、um, because、uh, I think Goss mentions about cracking his nut to to get that information out. So、yeah. um, Brian certainly、uh, would have been、uh, in for a bit of、um, sort of pain, I think, to to get the information. Yeah, maybe. Yeah.、Uh, but I, I like that we、um, we we have this moment where the. I'm glad Dottie didn't get assassinated by Kurt. Let's just put it that、Absolutely. way. I'm glad there was this just-in-time moment with、yeah. um, them getting whisked away to a, a mob safe house.、Mm-hmm. Um, that scene was so incredibly tense for me because I was just waiting for Dottie to be be killed, and maybe even Brian. Who knows?、Um, I think the other important thing from this scene was just that Dottie is. Is told by Brand that he's figured out the rocket and is now working on something much bigger, which seems very ominous. Really to be honest, does.、Uh, and he, yeah, and he's so nonchalant about it as well. He's kind of like, "Oh yeah, that old rocket thing that、uh, that all the Nazis want the information from before." Ah,、oh, yeah, I figured that out ages ago. I'm working on something else now, kind of thing. It's really, it's really. I don't think he understands. Even though he's in hiding, and even though、uh, he's been with the Nazis, I don't think he understands how much threat he's under, or how much、uh, how how much they want him, and how bad these people are that are after him. You know,、uh, just after he says that is when you see Kurt outside with a gun pointed in the window at the two of them. So,、uh, so you kind of go, he probably doesn't know the imminent threat that's there.、Uh, he seems so、uh, so dismissive of that little old rocket issue that、uh, that. Has sent him in, in, into hiding, you know.、Yeah. Um, so it it is also quite intriguing. Cuts right outside the door when this new safety net is is brought to to kind of collect、um, Brian and bring him off to、uh, to this new safe place. But it's not going to be safe at all now because Kurt's right outside the door. So all he has to do is just follow the car、um, and find out where Brian's going to. Right. So not going to be safe. Not necessarily.、Yeah. No, absolutely. But it could have protection. Dare、mm-hmm. I say it? A bit more so than、uh, Dotty's place. <laughs> so,、uh, although Dotty is fierce by absolutely anyone's、uh, definition, very true.、Um, she certainly knows how to wire a bomb and、uh, do a bit of gun running.、Certainly. So, yeah, yeah. she she's a fierce lady.、Um, but I think, yeah, I I, I just like that. Again, it's a little nod because we we kind of knew that Kurt was tailing Brian、uh, and Dotty and Lewis. So we we knew that there were. They they had information on them, so yeah, yeah.、Uh, I'm glad that got played out. I think yeah,、um, it's good to see Betty Berman back as well,、uh, the head of the Jewish mob. Definitely,、um, I like I liked the kind of layering in here again. It's another historical touch there, where you have effectively have a big mob boss who's buying a house in Beverly Hills among all the stars. Effectively, you know, does it make me look new or rich? He asks. <laughs> yeah, he asks Lewis, and Lewis is going to hell yeah, absolutely. It makes you、absolutely. look exactly like everybody else who lives in these hills. And he's worried about interior decoration as <laughs>、exactly. well. You know, he's like, don't hang that chandelier until I'm back,、mm-hmm. um, which is. Yeah, I I think that's really really good. Yeah, it's、uh, it's a nice trope actually. It is.、Um, I think on the theme of lion and cockroaches, I think there's there's two other、uh, little sort of conversations that I, I kind of want to draw. One I have to bring up is the meeting between Townsend and his father,、uh, Jerome, played by the late Brian Dennehy.、Mm-hmm. Um, Jerome Townsend. I I thought this was. Fabulous.、Um, I really liked、uh, how you know he has to make a, a booking to see his father,、yeah. and then it's almost conducted like an interview. Only has ten minutes, you know.、Yeah. Only ten、so、minutes, and, and but also just how awful it is for、mm. Charlton Townsend that his dad is 
is like that. Um, you know, effectively, Tanzan has gone there. He, he tries not to go uh, and use his father to, for leverage. Yeah. He wants to presumably make it on his own. Uh, but he needs his influence to change the, the vote and the decision on the city council from, um, uh, councillor Beck's route of the freeway to, um, to back to his and, and to prevent his recall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love the fact that, um, we, we kind of get a little potted history of, of LA about, mm. um, you know, there are three people who built, uh, LA. There was Mulholland who brought the water, Doni who found the oil and you built the roads. Mm-hmm. Um, and, this is an extension of the family. Look what I'm doing. And his, his father's retort is that's going to happen anyway. The future is aviation. Yeah. Um, he's, I'm investing in the airport. Um, we'll be and flying over your little relatives of passengers. Yeah, uh, exactly. Passengers. So like just so sort of, it just cuts into Charlton and then ultimately, um, the reason for, mm-hmm. uh, his, his dad not to support him is just dreadful. And it, you know, in that moment, however obnoxious Townsend is, I mean, that opening scene with him and Alex where he's basically, he's hating on everyone because of the, the situation he's in mm-hmm. and it, it's all becoming so tenuous for him. You know, his nasty side is coming out against the Mexicans about the, the liberal everyone. Yeah. And, but in, in that moment where, uh, his father Jerome says, the reason I'm not supporting you is not because you're a fat, ugly queer, mm-hmm. which is worse in itself. He goes, it's because you are weak. I don't back a losing horse. So um, it's just, completely dysfunctional mm-hmm. and awful and you know that happens uh, and yeah. in that moment you go does townsend deserve this horrendous kind of um father and probably not um mm. and probably is part of the reason why he is you know in nature versus nurture kind of thing and yeah. um, his dad probably holds those views himself mm-hmm. so um but despite that, he's, you know, I he's a he's a gambler. Yeah, he, he backs the winning horse. But it's just, it. yeah. but it, as I say, it's both fabulous and awful yeah. at the same time. Exactly, so well acted. Exactly, and I do think it was a bit of a surprise. Um, part of me wants to kind of tie this up into kind of an overarching thing that was happening in the steps, and I kind of meant to mention it last week as well, uh, just about Magda's characters losing control now of their charges um what we're seeing in the episode here is that opening scene with tenzen is basically him going you know she's magda is there as alex trying to control him and trying to get her plan to kick off racism in la and, and these race against race attacks by getting his plan of that motorway built through the mexican neighborhood firing them up, them up so they will attack the other races in in the city she talked about back at the start of the season that this is the first road that will be built the next one will go through the areas that the blacks live in and disrupt all of their their uh, settings and start them on their plan but by the end of the season here what we're seeing is charlton's losing that he's not the right horse for her to have backed for alex to have backed no absolutely so she pushes him to go to his go to his father for his endorsement so that he can get the road back on track again and his father doesn't do it so what you feel at the end of the episode just purely from this magda 
idea, what you feel at the end of the episode is she's chosen another wrong person here. In the same way we talked about last week with Peter being the wrong person because she's trying to convince him to take up the Nazi ideals into America and take up this idea of a pure white race in America. And he's saying, that's not what I want. What I want people to do is is believe that Germany is a great country and America is a great country and we should work together and we're we can be great countries. And she was trying to she was trying to convince him as Elsa to take up much more of the Nazi Hitler ideals. Yeah. And he said no. So you're kind of thinking, oh well, Alex, you've you've Magda or you've also chosen another wrong horse with with Peter. Now you've chosen a wrong horse with Townsend. And the other one we'll talk about a little bit uh, later in, in this discussion, but the other one is Matteo. Like Matteo's the choice of Rio to lead the Pachucos. She's separating away from his family in this episode. You see him coming back together with all of his all of his family. So has she also picked the wrong choice there with Matteo? Now that he's got the support of the family, which was part of what she was trying to do in her manipulations of, of Matteo was pull him away from yeah, his family. It, so. She's underestimated his love for his family and mm-hmm. um, despite everything and um, because and yeah you're right we'll get to it though uh, later but you know the speech that he gives to everyone about finding their pride mm-hmm. is just so well done um, and the interjection then of Tiago mm-hmm. you know maybe that is Santa Murta working in mysterious ways mm-hmm. that he is like you know putting his foot down because it's he seems to be the person that's always the strong one, and yet he's has a very different view of how people treat him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, we'll come to that. But what do you think about the three? The idea of the Magdas themselves, the three or four Magdas that we have, maybe have picked the wrong people to influence because it, they're not as influential as you would expect from the idea that you've got Townsend, who's the son of the person, one of the three people that built LA. You've got Kraft, who is the son of the person that created all of the weapons for the German armies for 400 years. And he doesn't seem to want to go along with her pressure. And you've got Matteo, who's supposed to be this guy that his family shunned and he becomes the leader of the Pachucos, who's actually gone back to his family. So does that feel like something that they're setting up? The plan is unraveling for Magda right in front of her eyes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And of course, dare I say it in, in a, in, in that moment, um, you can trust the LAPD to, to ride in and effectively put it all back on Absolutely. track, probably yeah. with, with what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there, there is talk about having a, a huge, uh, riot and creating social unrest to, to again, realign the stars of how, um, people are feeling, how mm-hmm. people are being perceived. And I suspect the, the, um, the lynching of Diego by the LAPD officers right in the middle of the, the Mexican community yeah. is going to do that. Yeah, absolutely. But I think we go, before we kind of go into that any further on your point, Derek, yeah. I think the only other one is just there's a re- that real, um, great, again, mini confrontation between Elsa and Maria at the Kraft family oh, yes. house. That's great. Um, were they're, they're trying to sort of settle down after the events of the last episode. And, you know, maybe we take Tom uh, to Robin Hood. Uh, you know, Peter saying maybe it was unfair to bring uh, you, Elsa, and Frank in as soon as I did after Linda w- was put into the sanitarium. We have this moment where Elsa knocks over her orange juice um, mm. and asks Maria to come and, and wipe it up. And ju- again, just that confrontation where Elsa says, what do you think of me? Do you think I'm silly? And Maria's like, no, I don't. Um, 
but I'll tell you when I know. And she goes, I th- hope we could be friends. I wanted us to be friends. And yeah. she just goes, you you may as well uh, howl at the moon. Um, like, like a coyote. It, like a coyote, yeah. <laughs> it is just such a nice put down mm-hmm. um, from Maria. And of course, Elsa just simply turns to make sure you wipe everything up and, and walks off. But, you know, um, it, it's nice because... I think the, these two characters are just, I love their digs at one another. Mm. Like they know they know, but it, it, yeah. it it's kind of like the truce. Yeah. It's like a proxy war going on. Um, you know, it, it's the cold war yeah. and here they are facing one another, but the action is happening elsewhere yeah. that they, that Elsa wants to tap into here and, and in linking herself to craft. Yeah. Uh, but I, as you say, that, could all be unraveling. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of, this feels like a war by proxy happening a bit here. You, yeah. uh, and these are the two superpowers, yeah. uh, Magda in the form of Elsa uh, and, and Maria here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, uh, I think it's really nice. That's really cool, isn't it? Yeah. But I wonder, is the show asking too much of the audience sometimes in these scenes? Because, we as the audience, obviously, we see Natalie Dormer, right? We see her on screen and we see her playing all these characters and we can instantly go, that's Natalie Dormer there and that's her in a different hairstyle there and that's her in different makeup. And there's a question that's been outstanding now for four episodes, I think, or three episodes now, where you're going, there's Maria. She's standing in front of the actress Natalie Dormer playing uh, Elsa and she's also been in front of Rio, played by Natalie Dormer, and she's also had Magda visit her, played by Natalie Dormer. And why is she not seeing it's the same person? And they're not giving an explanation anywhere in the script at all as to what Magda's power is to hide herself so that Maria can't see through it. Like what we hear in that conversation here between the two of them is she's saying to Elsa, I don't know what you are yet, but when I do know, I'm trying to figure it out. But when I do know, I will tell you, I will let you know what you are. So she hasn't worked out that it is Magda. She hasn't worked out it is the demon that visited her. No, in her home a couple of a couple of episodes ago, and I'm just wondering from a, I don't know how you would do it in the script. Like John Logan obviously is a much better writer than I could ever hope to be. I don't know how you do it in the script, but it feels like there should be something in there that we would we would hear the history of the demon Magda. You know, like in the original Penny Dreadful when they had Mister Lyle, the Egyptologist, yeah. come over and kind of read a little passage from history and go, "This is what this demon does. This is this is the powers of this demon, and this is how we beat him." Kind of thing. It feels like you need somebody, and Maria should be that character. Maria should be the person because she's a worshiper of Santa Morta and knows all about Santa Morta. You'd expect her to have some conversation with one other character, going, "Magda, maybe." manipulating everybody around her because what she can do is or she's known to inhabit humans to to give them their guidance and do her will or something something like that it feels like there's there's something that that the audience is being asked not to question why maria can't see that this is the same person in front of her but i i think we got an answer to to that in the visitation of Magda to Maria at her grotto and, mm-hmm. and shrine to Santa Muerta. Right. In in that um you know she can feel her on the neck, smell something that's wrong. You know, she she does say to Raoul um you know that the craft house is cursed. She mm-hmm. knows that's there is true. something up. She probably believes it is the work of of Magda, you know, she mentioned to Magda in the grotto, I want to be a part of your games sure. with your sister and, and leave my family out of it kind of thing. So 
I think she knows that there's something evil at play here because she is tuned into that Definitely. spirituality, that supernatural side through Santa Murta. And so she knows that Elsa is not who um, she is pretending to be. There's an evil aura coming from her, yeah. you know, in, she in, in that sense. German witch. Well, exactly. Yeah. So, she, I mean, <laughs> in a sense that she knows that she's just nasty, yeah. but whether she's connected the dots to know that it's part of a grander plan, I don't think she would. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, in the scheme of things, she is Peter's housemate. Yeah. You know, yeah. she may see Rio, but I, I think increasingly it's that we see Magda in those forms, but yeah. actually they're taking different forms. And that must be the case because of Frank. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I, I think she doesn't look like Magda right. at all. Right. But obviously, within the show, um, it is Natalie Dormer yeah. doing a fantastic, amazing job of doing all these different portrayals mm -hmm. um, of different forms of Magda. But I think to the people in the scene, um, I can imagine that they're being told as, as the direction, you don't recognize her okay. as that. Yeah. She is as someone else. Yeah. She looks like Elsa, whoever Elsa may be, yeah. or like Frank. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That, that's true. Yeah. I just wonder if there was something that they could have kind of exposed to the audience why Maria is not seeing, uh, that face in front of her, just a line of dialogue somewhere. But, but you're right. It's, it's, it's such an interesting scene. And in an episode where so much, great acting is happening i think everybody gets a great moment oh, in this absolutely episode. i really do think that adriana briaza is is like number one in this episode for me it's the scenes that she has i think she's just fantastic once again in this episode i think there's some some wonderful moments starting with that moment with elsa it's yeah so good so good speaking of all that are you finished your main point absolutely it's not like you, you can't talk for the rest of the episode i promise man. You, will, <laughs> you will obviously get to talk because the other big moment that I'm going to choose for this episode is A Night of the Crimson Cat, oh. because what a great way to bring the whole family together. You know, we talked about the joyful scene earlier on in the season where we had Maria dancing with uh, Tiago. I think it was in the first episode, actually, maybe even the second episode, where the two of them danced together yeah. in the streets. And it was a lovely family moment. So you know that Maria loves to dance. You know that she feels Definitely. the family yeah. love between the two of them. So I really enjoyed that moment when she arrives home after having this argument with Elsa and meets Raoul uh, and says to him, kind of, I need to blow the cobwebs off after that argument with that German witch. Can we go out tonight? Kind of. Yeah, thing, and you know? everything that's gone on as well. She needs to treat herself. Um, and I think, uh, I, th I thought that was really good. Mm -hmm. It felt actually so natural. And I, I really like that in this moment, we, we have... Actually, a bit of an explanation with Raoul as well. I was well. going to say that, yeah, because yeah. finally we get Zombie Brother uh, explaining a little bit why he's been a bit of a zombie for the last uh, last few episodes, and it feels like he knows he has a purpose, and and that will hopefully come out in the next episode what that purpose is. Exactly, I I, I thought that was really good. You know, let's face it, he got shot in the brain, yeah, and even though he got, you know, he got pulled back by by Santa Mercer through mm -hmm. Maria's um, prayers. At the end of the day, you can imagine him that he would be tired. It, that that changes you. It even getting back to normal. Uh -huh. um, but it's I like the fact that he layers in that he feels different yeah. and he can't quite understand why or mm -hmm. how or what that difference is, and that 
there is some kind of new purpose that he he is there for and that he can't put his finger on. Yep. In some ways, a lot of him zoning out and sitting there is probably him racking his brain to try and figure that out mm-hmm. as much as the recuperation from being shot in the brain. Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. Um, because one of the nice continuity things in this, you know, you see Raoul coming out of hospital, he's still got the bandages on, mm-hmm. slowly but surely his, his wound on the top of his head is getting better and yeah. that, that that's you know so he has been convalescing mm-hmm. as as much as then now we understand he does feel different yeah um, and maybe that's just to do with the bullet maybe but i'm hoping so. it has a massive <laughs> supernatural shell case uh that is um happening yeah. uh well i think there's only, like, there's only two weeks that have passed roughly since the beginning of the season since uh, real was in hospital i think it's roughly two maybe three weeks uh that have gone on so you're right i like the continuity that it's that uh he's getting a little bit better on that uh, massive injury that he has to his head but it's very important to note that Magda spoke to Rill and influenced him to take those shots on the police officers and kill uh, kill the police officers that he did with the gun in that first episode. Santa Marta was prayed to to bring him back. And he specifically says in this episode, I feel different. I don't think there's anything that bad about that road, actually. So he was the leader of the Mexicans who were against the road going through their neighborhood. He was the leader of that group, basically. He was leading yeah. that charge. And now, six, seven episodes on, or a couple of weeks later, he's basically saying, well, I'm actually not too sure whether that's that bad a thing. So he's not going to take up arms again to protect his area, potentially because of the influence of Santa Muerta effectively saying, you're back now, don't fall into the trap that Magda's laying for you kind of thing. Yeah. So so she has intervened in the Vega family uh, twice now with saving uh, Tiago from the fire when he was a kid, now with Raul saving him and bringing him back. And it feels like her influence is actually within Raul now, saying, change your mind about this thing that was actually going to cause massive violence and massive race versus race war because that's what Magda wants you to do. So that's what he's kind of feeling the pull of. So is it going to manifest as something bigger in episode 10? It absolutely should because I feel like Raul's kind of take the back seat sitting there thinking what it is that he should be doing so hopefully in episode 10 we all find out what it is that magda's plan for him is so yeah sorry santa Muerta's plan for him is lots of characters in this show so uh, but try to work out what santa Muerta's plan for him is and, and hopefully we'll see that next episode but i kind of like that it was at least addressed here in their conversation before they head off to the crimson cat and literally bump into josephina while they're dancing <laughs> you know she's out there with her school friends uh, for the evening having their having the dance not drinking though you know, not drinking, Maria. I'm not. I'm. I'm only here to dance, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love that she instantly calls her on it and just kind of says, "Don't lie to me. I know exactly what you're doing." Absolutely, <laughs> and even just the shock of the new hair color. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, actually, it, that's not the issue. It's the amount of mascara and and foundation that she's put on. Exactly. And I, I love uh, Josefina's kind of rebuttal to that. It's like I know I was telling my my friends to stop. Yeah. Uh, it like blaming it on a on her friends and I just thought that was really great but I think those nuances of the interaction between a mother and daughter and a, a mother and um her sons and the the, the brothers oh, and yeah. the brother and it's just so nicely observed and I think um you know that's it, it, in all of this building um of you know at least initially you've got 
Maria and Raoul at the Crimson Cat, and then they they bump into Josefina, mm-hmm. um, and then all of a sudden. Matteo turns up oh, it's um, so with cool. Flyrico and Rio and all this. And he's like, that, the arrival of them really felt like something that a West Side story it was so cool, wasn't it? Absolutely. And, yeah. and that's the, you know, it was another kind of beat in that crescendo mm-hmm. up. Um, and, and yet in between all of this, you have these really intimate uh, moments or just subtle nuances of, ha- you know, as I say, of all these interactions between a family, which yeah. is really good. Um, and ultimately, I think is what, despite the bigger things at play here, is what pulls them back, which is yeah. really, really good. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Like I know myself and you are both from reasonably big families. I'm a family yeah. of seven, and you're a family of six, so kind of similar sizes to the Vega family. And I certainly remember when I was younger, and all of us were much closer in age. I certainly remember some of our arguments getting to this level of oh, absolutely. Kind of, you know, nobody can tell you more honestly what they hate about you than your brother <laughs> or your sister or your mom sometimes Absolutely. but maria really does go for the jugular with everybody here about what she specifically isn't happy with she's the the argument between herself and mateo is probably one of my favorite beats in that discussion and um, because Mateo has a really good point yeah. when she says to him you know i'm disappointed in you going out and joining the pachucos kind of thing you need to be home with your family you need to be taking care of them show some pride and he says to her remember when uh, well, he says to her first, you know, Josephina went going off and joining the church. You hated that. You gave out about that. Raul becoming the union leader. You hated that. You yeah. gave out about that. You thought so he was going to turn into a Bolshevik. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A bomber, you know. Um, Tiago going off and joining the police force. Originally, you gave out about that. And now th- those are all things that you should be proud of. You should also be proud of me because you taught me to be proud. And this is my version of being proud. I'm only doing what you Exactly, taught, exactly. And he says each one point. of, yeah, exactly. And I think each one of them, each one of us has found our pride. Mm-hmm. Everyone found it. And me going out there, I'm growing up out there. I, I just, yeah, he, I thought Matteo here was really good just to yep. kind of neutralize Maria. Cause actually the thing that happened with Maria was she felt like a chemical reaction that she was going to explode at each moment of uh, an arrival with um, one of the Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, even just Molly being there, I thought she was going to explode at it, and and it, it ended up being calm. And then well, eventually, with, yeah, eventually, <laughs> no, but ultimately leaving leading to the big explosion mm-hmm. from Maria when she realizes after Tiago and Molly have arrived in. Yeah who Molly is, because Molly is, yeah. in her eyes, she's taken away her daughter, Josefina, and now she's with her, um, you know, obviously her best son, or the one that all the other brothers and sisters think is the spoiled child of oh, Diego. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the whole Pinocchio thing coming from Raul was Hilarious. really, really nicely done. Dare I say it, um, I think if I was sat around a table with my uh, brother and sister's um, they would probably level that charge uh, at me. Definitely. Uh, being the youngest. The youngest family, yeah. Um, yeah. But as I always said, you know, in um, family warfare, being 10 years younger than everyone else, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't be the physical... I I have to be the... I have to be the crafty kid mm-hmm. to to 
to make sure that um, that's my weapon. Yeah, yeah. Use your tears to get what you want, John. Yeah. I, love, I love that <laughs> oh, no, description. That sounds so awful. No, I, I know it. it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure my brothers, when they met you first, I'm sure they, they told you those kind of stories of, you know, oh, he could definitely just create a tear in his eye and it would fall <laughs> down his cheek and just hold there long enough for mom to see it and then not blame him for something bad that he'd actually done, you know. Um, There's definitely tools that you use. And I love that that's the description that Raul gives of his younger brother, Tiago. Yeah, you know, I just really like that. You know, never leave your partner alone with your family for five minutes while you're going to the bar if that's the first time they've met because your family have been waiting for that for a long time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all the, those stories in hands. Yeah, yeah, it will all come uh, straight to the surface. So I, I thought that was really, uh, really good. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, the the big, um, you know, effectively Maria losing it um, oh, and... Fun. It kind of just like a shockwave going throughout the the family because yeah. Matteo seeing Tiago as well coming yeah. back from from the bar, um, trying to settle it down and but it's just not succeeding and yeah. and Matteo going after him you know calling him mofo all this yeah. kind of stuff it's really antagonistic it's yeah. really confrontational and throughout it all you hear Raul in the background he's the one that's calling for everybody just to shut up and sit down yeah. shut up and sit yeah. down stay together as a family like it's so uh vitriolic that the words that they're saying yeah. to each other is so insensitive and then you're kind of thinking this is a loud family in a live venue a live music venue like you know i was waiting for like what we'd have nowadays would be the record scratch where the dj stops playing the music yeah. you know you expect the band to stop playing they are so loud uh, as they all shout at each other but i love that tiago is the one that makes them all stop he is the patriarch of the family since they lost their father. He's the one that's led the honest life, I suppose, in some senses. We know. Well, Raul and, as well, I think. But well, obviously yes. he's, he's been Raul did shot. murder and did yeah, murder quite yeah. a few cops at the beginning of the season. So everybody has their gray areas always with Penny Dreadful. Uh, what we know as an audience, Tiago isn't the most upstanding member of the community either. He's also uh, arrested somebody that didn't commit the crime that he arrested them for effectively. So uh, so he's also not a person beyond reproach, but he seems like the, ma the patriarch of the family. He seems like the person that the rest of the family respect the words he says. And I love that his speech to the rest of them is about the fact that he never felt good enough even though everybody else in the family yeah. thinks he, he thinks Tiago thinks he's better than everybody else because of the path that he's chosen to travel, he's saying, everybody tells me I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough Mexican. I'm not a good enough police officer. I'm not a good enough white person. I'm not white enough to join their gang. I'm not Mexican enough to join your gang. I'm yeah. separate from everybody. And now everybody's giving me this pressure. And I love that he ends it with, I'm here with the woman I love and I deserve that respect. Yeah. I, absolutely. It, it was spot on. Mm -hmm. It was really nicely played. And I like how yeah. that just got everyone's attention. Yeah. Um, Great performance from Daniel. Yeah. It, it was well, really right? good. And it, it felt absolutely right. You know, it felt like a proper family Barney, yeah. to be honest. A real uh, argument. You'd expect and it around the dinner table. It's just one of those ones that I was, I just was not expecting that level of fighting in a pub and not have, you know, the bouncers go up and go, could you just. Close it down a bit. People around you are dancing and having fun. <laughs> yeah, I th I think the other good thing here as well was um, that you kind of have that the big sigh after what's happened, and you see Maria jokingly talking about, and not one of not one of my three sons became a priest, mm -hmm. and you have Matteo. I really like this. Just 
saying we have a priest in the family as or you, maybe uh, yeah. or maybe you know pointing to josephina i thought that was really nicely done and that that kind of respect that idea that his sister mm-hmm. can be the priest yeah. it doesn't have to be a man like um i thought it was just so yeah. so well done it feels so authentic um for uh, a family with brothers and sisters and it feels authentic to john logan's writing that sense of equality and so it was really nicely done i thought and you do feel that two of those siblings are the closest of all the siblings yeah you know josephina is the person that mateo sought out to go and try and find solace in um finding out that she was part of a religious order is instantly what backed him off and and pushed him away but you feel like the two of them because of how close they are in age and because they both still lived at home at the time you really do feel that their closeness so i like that as you say he defends Josephina kind of, you know, he, she's just as good as the boys, you know, when Maria says, I have three sons and not one of them is a priest. That's an interesting note, isn't it, that maybe she's the priest. Is that something really important again? You know, there is a religious war here going on between the two icons that are uh, Santa Morsa and Magda, you know. So is it really important that Josephina is the priest of the Vega family, that she's going to be standing between the two of them in that final battle, maybe? Something like that. I think we'd, we'd suspect that maybe Sister Molly would be involved in that final battle. We suspected, obviously, her influence on Josephina was going to mean something by the end of the series, and maybe yeah. Josephine is the one to stand in between the two of these warring factions to stop them from the fight in in the final episode potentially that's that's something but just to mention as well rio's uh participation in what's going on here uh, magda's uh, version of rio uh, during this episode because i just thought it was it was interesting she was really niggling at the family when mateo joined them um you know the the line which is such an embarrassing thing to say in front of someone's mom going he's a man uh ask me, I know for definite kind of thing. It's a real like, oh, hang your head in yeah, shame and yeah. walk away from the table, love, you know. It's a real kind of, uh, it's a niggly thing to say to a brother, but the mother's right there, you know. You don't want to tell her I had sex with your son the other night and he's great in bed, you know. It just feels, it feels disrespectful to this family, Vega. And it feels even more disrespectful when she calls Maria mama and she goes, I'm not your mama. It, maybe you don't even have one kind of thing, you know. She feels disrespected by Rio kind of joining the vega family table absolutely absolutely i mean and that causes a great tension between mateo and maria you Mm -hmm. really kind of get that in in the same way as with tiago and fly rico at the bar like when knowing that fly rico rio and mateo were there and when molly and tiago come in you're just going how is this going to play out you know this is a tinderbox that is about to be be set on fire Um, and i thought it was really uh, just so well handled I, uh, just all to music as well and i think the what was great is the big makeup dance at the end where they're all the family vega uh, are, are off out on the dance floor they're all taking the partners they're, yeah. they're bringing molly in as well and that's so cool isn't it's it? it's it's just this joyous happy uh, event where mm-hmm. you know tiago has just put that line in the sand it said Let's wipe that slate clean. Mm-hmm. I do like it when he goes into Mateo and he goes, you know, I, I've always loved you. I do love you. Yeah. Let, let us talk sometime, talk you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then it's intercut with the, the, the next worst thing of Lewis. Um, oh, gotcha. And I love that it's to no sound here, that it's still the dancing music, that unbeknownst to all these people, the happiness is still going on. But somewhere in a part of L.A., is a despicable act that's about to happen to Diego um, with Lewis um, being 
handcuffed mm-hmm. and, and overpowered by all the LAPD officers yeah. uh, as they're transferring um, Diego to San Quentin and, and, then they, take, yeah. then, and they go and lynch him. And it's very, very powerful, I, I found, yeah. where it, it's this joy of the Vega family kind of settling their differences yeah. and coming together in, in, in the Crimson Cat and dancing to this kid who's been made the fall guy and by Lewis, who I think that's why, you know, Nathan Lane's kind of look at, at trying to get them pleading with them to stop. Yeah. But there's no sound to it. And just the emotion that's coming across as they're, they're um, lynching Diego it is just so powerful. It really it's, really, yeah. uh, it's, it's really um, great TV and, and drama and yeah. acting. And, and it has a purpose. Absolutely. Um, so it's yeah. so good. Yeah, it really is. And it's so frustrating for Lewis as well. You know, the, the moment where they they push him back, hang him up at the handcuffs uh, on in this van that's effectively purpose-built for this thing to transport people who can't get out of the binds that you put them in, effectively. So Lewis has been handcuffed up there. They take his gun off him as well, just in case he tries to shoot them or tries to intervene in any way possible. And it's just a resigned moment when they close the door on Lewis's face and drive away from the now dead Diego. They basically do wait until he's dead before they move the truck away. So um, am I right in saying that that's the that's outside the Vega family or very close to the to Maria's family home uh, where this takes place? I I think it is. That I don't know. It's certainly in the Mexican um, community. Yeah. Um, I don't know. To me, it looked more like the area that um, Tiago and Lewis were in when they questioned Fly Rico's um, girlfriend. Oh, right. Okay. um, Or or sister. I can't remember who she was now. uh, When they were trying to find... Um, the where they were after yeah. the death of Officer Riley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it it just because where Maria and uh, Maria's house is, and where she gets off at the you know there's the bus stop, there's mm-hmm. the bar. There seems to it's almost like it's a you know this this proto community center, yeah. you know the center to the that area yeah. with the shops, the bar, the bus stop, and that. And it seems like Maria's just off from that. Yeah. Uh, but it, it just, it's, it's certainly just, in the community. I think just as they drove away, I think I thought I saw the table from the first episode where they'd all eaten cake and, and celebrated Tiago joining Maybe, the police force. Maybe, so, um, but yeah. it's in the community. Yeah. It's in the. It's a message to the Mexican. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, you know, given what's been going on the last few weeks in the US with these types of lynchings happening again in very public places in, in America, really shockingly and really sadly, you know, this, this moment strikes really hard that uh, this is being brought back to the Mexican community um, as a warning to them to not mess with the police because this is what you get is kind of the, what you're seeing, you know, this abuse of, of the power of the LAPD uh, in this moment, even though you have someone like Lewis who was trying to send this kid down for murders that he didn't commit, he was treating him fairly from that point onwards, um, but he can't do anything to stop yeah, and you know, it, what's going on. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think in that moment, it was just, it, it's that topsy-turvy nature of it all, isn't it? Yeah. Where you go, hang on a sec, these people are supposed to be upholding the law. Mm-hmm. And this guy hasn't even had a trial, even though he's confessed and so on, yeah. you know, and and you're doing that. And 
you're taking the law into your own hands and your oath would be to uphold and protect the law yeah. and to protect the community, which you don't even... It's, it's like a doctor taking a Hippocratic oath and then not doing the surgery well, or yeah. the diagnosis or, or whatever because they, they don't want to or a firefighter taking their oath and not going in to put out the flames in a burning building. Yeah. And it's the same here. And that's the the crazy thing. I just don't, it, it's difficult to comprehend is that that is exactly what they shouldn't be doing. Well, exactly. And yet they're doing it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. if that is a historical thing, I, I suppose, which it is, then Absolutely. you see why that this that this craziness permeates through through generations yeah. of of policing, um, yeah. and it, it moves from lynching to using airstrikes, like in in Tulsa. It moves mm-hmm. from that to you know bullets, and there's the idea that if someone's jaywalking because they can't afford a car, that they should be st- stopped and searched in, in a way that is so overblown with weapons yeah. that it is beyond sort of comprehension yeah absolutely yeah absolutely but it's you know again this this show once again has hit a note that um couldn't have been planned when the show was written this was the time it was going to hit but sadly it's uh, something that has repeated over time we haven't learned from history this is something that has continued in the u.s and continued in many other countries sadly um and here we are again you know it's uh it's very uh prescient very uh very shocking that uh, that it's hitting right now and I'm, I'm i was unsurprised i think that showtime put out the warning that this episode would be a difficult watch um and would be disturbing for a lot of a lot of viewers and it certainly was a disturbing moment at the end of the episode but it's topical it's, uh, it's great yeah. uh drama and acting and it's and we can't pretend these hugely, things don't happen as well no exactly so, and it's yeah. hugely important yeah. um and it's a phenomenally emotive drama that's happening here mm-hmm. um and it, it i think it's it's what's making uh penny dreadful city of angels absolutely really really good mm-hmm. uh as well you know uh, from the cast the crew the writers yep. um all of that it's just so so well done and as, as you say it's just hitting those topical notes which john logan always intended it to do but in the context of what's happening as you say yeah. then it's elevating that exposure that's being shown in um these episodes of of how people have in the past treated other people just simply because of things like the color of their skin Mm -hmm. or their preferences or or whatever so it feels Mm -hmm. it feels ripped from the headlines really at times um i think that's it for the main points there's definitely a note that i have about this that just didn't fit in anywhere um the the moment when Molly arrives uh, into uh, the Crimson Cat and we see Rio standing up at her little perch uh, up at the top, watching out over everybody around her. Um, there's a little moment where you see Matteo dancing with uh, Josefina and she looks angry. Um, I mentioned earlier on in the episode about, you know, is, is Magda losing her influence on the people that she's chosen to influence effectively? Are they, are they people that, uh, she shouldn't have chosen? Should she have chosen someone else? I think it's a little bit similar to, we spoke about this before, John, when we were covering season three of Penny Dreadful, this idea that Dracula had of separating his victim from all of the people around them, all their support network and all their support system, and then turning them to the dark side, like he did with, yeah. Um, Eva Green's character in the original, uh, well, season three of, of Penny Dreadful. Uh, that's what I feel Rio is doing with Matteo. She was consistently 
calling the, the Pachucos his new family. He doesn't need the old family, you know. Um, and it seems by the end of this episode, at least that moment anyway, that as they're coming back together, it feels like Rio's really annoyed about that. She seems yeah. like she's seeing this family come back together that she thought she'd torn asunder or had been torn asunder. Um, and then Molly and Tiago arrive and she gets a really interesting look that I'm sure is going to be explained in the final episode. But I just had a little moment when I watched it going, is it Molly? Is it Molly's arrival that she's annoyed about, especially on the arm of Tiago? Does she know who Sister Molly is? Because again, that story is the one that hasn't really had much interplay between uh, the Magda characters. Is it Sister Molly? Is it something that she's bringing to the table when we get to this final battle in yeah. episode 10? Or is it the fact that Tiago is under protection of Santa Morta? He is the one member of the family that has been touched by Santa Morta. He's supposed to be protected. Remember, she was specifically told during that fire that killed his father, leave the kid alone, leave Tiago alone. Yeah. And Santa Muerta was asked, why does she care for him? Why does she care for any of them? Uh, Magda called that out. Why do you care for that child kind of thing? And now she sees him walking into the club where all the rest of the family are. So I'm really intrigued about what that look meant right there. Yeah. Does that mean she, now that she knows Tiago is a member of this family, now that she has them all, now they're all back together, does that mean Rihanna has to back off from her control or Magda overall has to now back off because Tiago's there? Is there some kind of key that he is to this end game i suppose uh that we just don't haven't seen yet so i was just really intrigued it was really it was really interesting moment go back and have a look at that moment in the episode just uh it was an interesting little moment yeah yeah it was it really was um for sure um john anything else you want to talk about from the episode or any notes yeah i've got uh three notes um first one is i love the sign behind rio in the crimson cat which said no sleeping on the tables uh, which i thought was really interesting if you have to have a sign it means it's happened a few times exactly um so i thought that was uh, a nice little uh, sign there mm-hmm. um, and my other two notes um relate to tanzan's conversation with his father where he talks about the three people that have built la um obviously there's jerome uh, Townsend there on the roads, which um, I, I couldn't find anything of. But uh, William Mulholland, who I suppose I know through his the namesake of Mulholland Drive, mm-hmm. uh, but he was an Irish American civil engineer who was responsible for building the infrastructure to provide the water supply to LA and its growing demands uh, as uh, one of the largest cities. In the US, mm. um, which I thought was really good. Um, a, a slightly sort of tragic end to his career, uh, when effectively, um, he had just granted a safety inspection to the St. Francis Dam, um, and it failed 12 hours later. Ooh. Um, so yes, uh, but yeah, brought the water as, uh, Charlton Townsend mentioned. And the second one was Edward Doherty, who effectively, uh, was made famous and also has a, a, a major rose in um, Beverly Hills named after him. Right. Uh, he was made famous for discovering oil uh, under a private residence and his find sort of set off the big oil drilling spree oh, and, and okay. kind of oil wars. Um, and an uh, interesting thing that those the clampets came first, uh, then the swimming pools and then the movie stars, uh, that L.A., was built on oil um, and the oil wealth that he then uh, poured into the city. Mm, the Clampets, the Beverly Hillbillies, isn't it? The TV show that was uh, based around the Clampets coming from uh, coming from nothing and getting uh, 
what's it called? Black Black Gold is that? Yeah, yeah, Black Gold. So, so yeah, so an interesting one there. Uh, Edward Doherty, by the name, you can tell. uh, I think he was a first generation American. Uh, His parents were both Irish, moved over from Ireland during the Great Famine, uh, moved over to America, uh, and Edward Doherty is the. uh, is the product, but interesting to uh, two Irish Americans yeah. setting up LA, you know, uh, quite, quite an interesting uh, past because, you know, there's, there's also been the discussion in here that remember, uh, LA was built on land that was originally part of Mexico. So, uh, so interesting that, uh, effectively it was built on, uh, civil engineering, water, uh, oil and the road system created by Jerome Townsend. Uh, very interesting that you note that both Mulholland and Donny both have roads named after them in this city. You know, we, uh, we talked about it back when we were, previewing the ep- the series of Penny Dreadful City of Angels that John Logan basically based this entire storyline for the series over the idea of the road system in America. Uh, so interesting that all these characters are connected with uh, with the road system. In, yeah, uh, in absolutely. LA, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, interesting one. That's a, that's your two other notes. For, yeah, uh, that's for my, uh, they're my three notes. Oh, Notus de la Mortis. Excellent, excellent. I just wanted to mention uh, the big song that's used in this, uh, in this episode. You know, it's probably the most famous big band era kind of jazz tune. You know, you can really see that this would have been kicking off in the clubs. It came out in 1936, I think, so pretty close to when this uh, when the show is set, um, I did slightly complain, just a, a modest complaint, that if I went to a nightclub um, and I was going out dancing for a night and they played, <laughs> even though this song is massive, if they played the same song twice in an hour while I was there, I'd know it's not the right club to go to. <laughs> um, but I suppose you got a live band, you know, they they probably love this song and love playing the song because it's, it's a great song. Sing 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 was, has been used in so many different uh, different movies and TV shows and adverts and stuff. So uh, it's a it's an iconic classic. And definitely makes me want to dance when I watch it. So maybe they didn't really mind. They're there to dance anyway. So play the song twice. Sure, why not? You know. <laughs> but I did like it. It's a, it's a pretty classic tune. So uh, really good to see it uh, played there with all of the Pachucos and all of the uh, Vega family all dancing away. Pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, Derek, what did you think overall of the the episode? <laughs> I think it's pretty evident here. This is uh, my favorite episode of the season. Um what John Logan is known for with his Penny Dreadful series specifically is they build and build and build to a crescendo. And you mentioned it here, John, this episode itself is a crescendo. The music, how it's used, the intercutting with everything that's going on and the massive buildup to get the Vega family effectively back together after they've all been kind of separated throughout the season was just magnificent. It was so well, so well put together by the writer and, and director here. And all the cast are just leveled up i think in this episode everybody gets a moment it feels like one of those ones where they got the script and went oh right okay i can't wait for episode nine when everybody gets a speech everybody gets a moment to show who their character is and why they are doing the things they're doing what their motivation is really so uh so wonderful absolutely so well put together and, and i'm delighted by this you know we're just one episode from the end and this episode right here is standing as my favorite so far this season. So I'm really excited to see what happens in this final episode, how it's all going to tie together to yeah. close off season one or maybe the only season of uh, of City of Angels. I really hope they come back for a second season. Mm. I, lo- I love these characters. I really want to see more of these characters and what's going to happen. But they could just as easily focus on something else that's going on in history or in L.A. or something else that's going on in the future. You know, maybe... Magnum might be knocked back this time and come back twice as hard next time. You know, it'd be uh, seven characters played by uh, played by Natalie Dormer in the second season. <laughs> maybe you know, maybe all the characters played by Natalie <laughs> yeah, Dormer in the second season uh, could be really intriguing. But yeah, really like this episode. John, what's your final thoughts on the episode? Well, for me, I 
loved this episode. Um, like yourself, I think this is my favourite episode so far of the season. I give it five family craft yars uh, out of five. Um, just reference to the the yars that everyone seemed to sort of chime in with uh, back uh, as uh, the craft family uh, are are going to to the to cinema see to Hood. see Robin Hood. It did sound like that, didn't it? Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering whether that's a joke, an in, an in family joke, particularly between Trevor and Tom. That every time their dad asks them a question, they say "Yeah," just like yeah, he does. exactly. <laughs> I thought that was really good. Yeah, um, yeah I think uh, this was just a phenomenal episode for me. Mm-hmm. I loved just how it built and built, and I think the the Crimson Cat was. Awesome. In some ways, I felt it was a, a slightly uh, strange penultimate episode. I wasn't expecting to get the level of like gooey happiness of seeing the Vega family. I didn't think mm. that was going to happen in in this episode, or in fact, at all. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. But I, I loved that. You know, the happiness of the Vega family uh, was intercut with the darkness and tragedy oh, yeah. of what was happening to Diego. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, just the, the undercurrents of darkness are, are there within this, um, this episode as well. But this, this moment where the Vega family are enjoying themselves, they're letting loose, they've wiped the slate clean. Uh, I just thought it was really good. And I think. Otherwise, you know, you have all these different series of confrontations throughout this episode mm-hmm. between um, Elsa and Maria, Goss and Lewis. You have between Townsend and his father and then between all the members of the Vega family as they they battle through their issues to to ultimately a resolution from Tiago's speech. And I just mm-hmm. thought everyone was phenomenal in this. I really really enjoyed this i thought what a really clever episode mm-hmm. um and was yeah was just great excellent yeah yeah absolutely we're going to take a little break there we are recording a little bit earlier than we normally do as i mentioned uh, chris couldn't join us for this episode but we're hoping uh, we'll have a, a quick word from him and what he thought about the episode uh, in our feedback section here well we're in feedback and you'll never guess which uh court Jester uh, has joined us to sing away uh, to give a coin to the Witcher or whatever. Um, it is our very own Christoph who will be giving us feedback on episode nine, Sing, 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 mm-hmm. um, which please, Chris, don't sing. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> oh. That's like the craft kids. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. yeah it, it's all about the Robin Hoods, the Robin Hoods, you know, and his <laughs> merry men. Poor Fire Took every time. And I know. didn't mean to call you a jester. I couldn't remember. Minstrel. That was the word I was looking for. Was minstrel. Bard. I bard, bard. That's it. That's in fact. Yes. Bring back the old Third time uh, is a charm. That's yeah. It. Yes, it. and we did hear today that they are back filming season two of The Witcher uh, in August. It picks up production again. So, <laughs> yeah. Woo-hoo. Good We're stuff. Back slightly on track for next year. Yeah. Let's see so. how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Chris, what did you think of Penny Dreadful? Sing, sing, sing. This episode. It has me singing to a different tune. Okay. Um, and it's singing to its own tune. So this does not feel like a penultimate episode. Um, this feels like, like the, the prior to penultimate episode, second last episode, uh, third last episode of the season, Mm -hmm. because what I was expecting, and now I'm not saying this was bad. And I'm pleased, like, I, I, I very much enjoyed what this episode, Mm -hmm. I will put that out first. You expect 
in the penultimate for the, the chess piece, the board to be set, the pieces to align, and the battles that will have to happen in the final episode to happen mm-hmm. or to be set up so that when you're going into the final episode, the final 40 minutes, the final hour, that you, it's breakneck speed, everything's go, 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 go. And I don't feel that they've done this. I feel they've, we have the catalyst for this battle Mm -hmm. or for this war uh, in the very final scenes. We have an almost coming together of the Vega family. So that reunion or that, that, that healing the rift, which we can expect to be tested again within the next hour. Um, but, I, I don't know. I was expecting, I, I was expecting maybe they, they, that at least Mama Vega would put, start putting those chess pieces together mm-hmm. and it would click in this final episode that she now knows who Magda is in the s- greater sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Like she saw Rio and I was expecting her to go, well, you just did the same look or the different, the same thing mm-hmm. as, uh, Mrs. Not Mrs. Craft as uh, Elsa, mm-hmm. um, or soon to be Mrs. Craft, maybe, uh, maybe. But you know, I was expecting that, and then I was expecting potentially I, a bit more. I don't know. I was expecting like the the chess pieces to be aligned, yeah. But I feel this this going into the next episode. If you have a bit more of those battle sections, mm-hmm. then. Th- the final episode is the battle to win the war. And I'm more now wondering, are, and we've discussed it previously about when we were talking about the Kraft family and some of those stories, are they seeding some of the plot lines for a season two? Mm. Which is fine, but there's no guarantee. And that's Sorry. always my problem with seeding potentially big story pop beats mm. into, well, hey, we're going to talk about that in our next season. And then you're very much left like a bit of a firefly situation, which is an amazing piece of television history mm-hmm. where they seeded some amazing pieces that we never were never explored until it came out on the comic books and they explored mm-hmm. them in the comic books. Yeah, yeah. Um, so am I happy with how it went? Yeah. I like some of the, also, I'm going to take back some of my earlier statements okay. about the dancing, uh-huh. the dance number in this episode were just mwah, they were spot so on yeah. it i think it was because it what it didn't feel in my opinion they didn't feel too elongated mm-hmm. they, they didn't like overstay their welcome they focused in on the core characters yeah and characters being the main bit where they jumped between showing mama vega and molly and then raul and then uh tiago all of them. And you saw all of them enjoying it. And that mm-hmm. jump, 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 jump with the Pachuco clan coming in. Yeah, that was so and cool. <laughs> like that, that one scene at the bar, mm-hmm. it just again, and this is what I do enjoy about Penny Dreadful's writing style, usually, which is I was expecting a zig and they zagged. Right. And I, I was glad for it. Mm. It was, I like, I was like, oh, we're going to see a bit of a punch up or. No, okay, that's actually cool. This is like hallowed ground mm-hmm. for them. This is like okay, you, when you we're on church ground or in this case dancing ground, yeah. you, we do not fight. For today we are not enemies. Tomorrow mm-hmm. we may be, but to, tonight we aren't. And that was just nice. And I think it, it showed a greater aspect of 
where Tiago and his brother and might come because if his brother is going to become the head of the Pachucos mm. as Rio wants uh, with Fly Rico, yeah. then potentially it is going to be brother v brother, but actually not what we were expecting brother v brother. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like, it's actually not going to be a fight. It's going to come down to war of the words. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I think definitely they have that push over the edge of the cliff that's going to happen when everybody finds out about Diego and what happened to him and, and his body being left hanging in their local community. I think that's the, going to be the big push and Mateo's going to step right up with a bit of push from uh, from Rio to uh, to lead the Pachucos and everybody else in that community on their, uh, their return to uh, going back against the police and getting revenge for what happened. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. But you're right, that whole the, the scene between all of the Vegas we mentioned uh, how how everybody gets a moment from even from the lines they say and their speeches to each other and justifying why they do what they do. But also everybody gets their moment of dancing and enjoying themselves uh, after they've made up and some beforehand, but everybody gets their big moment to kind of show why they're a family and why yeah. they're important to each other and to us as an audience. So some great things in there in the episode. Is the final episode not going to be slightly bloated if they try and close everything? If we still think we have the whole rest of the Nazi Mm-hmm. situation so we we now have rocket boy um in basically Branca. witness protection uh-huh. with um the the mob and kurt on his trail very quickly yeah kurt on his trail mm-hmm. we have the whole townsend situation we still have the whole mama um mama molly uh mrs adelaide mm-hmm. and essentially how that's going to all turn out we still don't know fully what's going on there yeah. like you've also then got the the craft piece uh, we've got then um, Molly as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like we still need to delve a bit further into that. We then have uh, Zombie Bro. Mm-hmm. He's now starting to understand what's his pur- wants to know his purpose. So you've got a whole piece there, yeah. and then the whole Pachucos versus the cops and the rest of the family versus cops. Then Tiago versus which side he's going to stand stand on when the- it comes down to. Potentially, you've got Lewis locked up in the back of a, the cop car. Mm-hmm. You've got then um, the actual just Germans or the the the, the Nazis in the, uh, the developers. How that's Councilman the Councilman Beck. Yeah. How Councilwoman Beck. Like that's a lot for uh, what forty five yeah. minutes, fifty three minutes. I think it, it is, but I I think most of those plot lines will converge on. I presume this, the, 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 um, the consequences of Diego. Um, so I think Kraft, yeah. uh, Raul, Tiago, Mateo, uh, will all play out. And I think all around that, to be honest, um, and, and with Maria and all that, the main separate side of it that is, partially connected and partially separate is the nazis which is playing out with lewis so i think actually there's two main areas that they'll focus on a bit like i think with uh this episode which it will be everything to do around the race rights which draws in the the police it will draw in tiago raul maria um, I, I don't know about Josefina and, and, and Molly, but then I think with Kurt and her Goss and Lewis, that will be a separate thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and how maybe Miss Adelaide connects in with the Nazis, all that will be 
to uh, as a, another separate. So I, I think actually a lot of the resolution, my kind of feeling is that a lot of the resolution is going to come from the fallout um, of Diego's lynching and the okay. the second thing, which I think structurally will make it much easier to deal with. Yeah. And I think for the question about what's being left for season two, or are they leaving storylines for season two? I'd say you could say that, but the storylines they're leaving for season two, I think, are the infestation of Nazis in LA, which is a much bigger story that couldn't be told in one season because it's not the central storyline of the of the show. And then the building of the motorway when it eventually does get planning permission and goes through that will be will form a backdrop for season two, season three, because we know the motorway exists. So we know the season couldn't end with them going, we're not going to have that motorway. Let's move on. And that's the show over. Those two things, they are, they are long term, um, plans. So they're likely to continue if there is a season two. They would, they would form the backdrop of the show because you can't end Nazism in 1938 and yeah. does go on for another and, and, five or six years. And so those yeah. two those two elements will probably be left uncompleted, let's say, at the end of this season. But I think that was a, that's understandable things to leave. And your story here is about the Vega family. And will that story resolve by the end of the season with the intervention of Santa Morta versus Magda at some point, I think. Uh, and, and Townsend is going to connect in because that's his way back to um, getting his freeway mm-hmm. approved and not being recalled will be this this outburst of yeah. violence that is almost certain to happen mm-hmm. um following Diego being strung up by the the LAPD yeah yeah certainly then they're just going to they'll have to do a time jump potentially <laughs> in season 2 maybe so to, to increase the infestation <laughs> i thought you meant i thought you meant in uh, in the episode 10 i was like what <laughs> no no i meant in season 2 doctor who do... arrives and and yeah. time jumps <laughs> yeah i was actually watching attack the block last night for the mm-hmm. first time in a long time and i forgot that jody Whittaker was in it with john Boyega and mm-hmm. a few others so and none other than dr frankenstein's brother that's right yeah that's right, um, he was in it and yeah. i was looking at him going no, he's in Penny. He was in Penny Dreadful. And I was looking up IMD going, why isn't he in Penny Dreadful? Yeah. It is him in Penny. And then it, it was at the bottom. He says, he has a, he has a, 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 twin. a sibling. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, <laughs> anywho. Um, yeah, those look, I overall, I was really, really impressed with the episode. Mm-hmm. The writing was brilliant. The family dynamic scene where it's, uh, I, I'm not, when Tiago does his speech and then is just laughed off to a degree with his mother. Oh, not laughed off, no. sorry. His, his mother laughs as a, a, a response that mm-hmm. lightens everything. That was perfect because that is very much a typical family thing yeah. where you're like, Oh my God, this, blah, blah, and then everyone's like, Oh yeah, he's right. Yeah. All right. We're going to respond with a joke. <laughs> um, so. Very happy with this episode. Actually. Not what I expected. Yeah. Uh, cautiously optimistic for the next episode. Yeah. I think uh, so far it's only a couple of days out, obviously, uh, at this stage when we're recording. And it's it's definitely one of the highest rated episodes so far. But I think we that was the one expectation that we had at the beginning of the series. We're on episode nine now. And our expectation was the show would continue to build towards a resolution. And when you feel the show is quite slow at the beginning, exactly like the original Penny Dreadful, the first couple of episodes were setting the places, getting to know the characters. And some episodes did feel quite slow in their period drama. De- dealing with 19th century London took time to set up all the characters and get everybody in motion. It was quite slow to begin with and then built up to this 
big payoff towards the end of the season in the last two episodes of the season. And I think that's where we are with, with playing Dreadful City of Angels. These last two or three episodes have been great. And this episode, particularly for me, was, was number one. It's been, it was the best episode so far because I really know these characters really well now. And I love seeing the Vega family together like they were in this episode, but there was so much other good, interesting stuff going on. And that painful ending with, uh, with Diego being lynched is just, particularly at the moment is is a raw wound uh, to be exposed by the tv show yeah yeah well especially since um as of filming there is um lynchings happening uh, which is terrible um but again john logan said he did want it to mirror the world of today exactly um thanks so much for that chris is there any any other anything else you had about the episode itself uh, before we got to final the one is just it was good to see brian denny again it was it, it was a was. nice it was a nice surprise yeah didn't expect him as soon as i saw him went oh and then the title card um in memory of yeah um so lovely um still remember him from cocoon always will remember him from cocoon one and two yeah. some of the first films i was like oh <laughs> Especially it's a kid's, it's strangely a kid's film, but not a kid's film. Mm-hmm. It's an adult film, but it's marketed and shown for kids. So yeah. loved it. Um, it was great to see him. That Excellent. was it. Excellent. These were a very weird time for that, weren't they? Yeah. One other one that I forgot to go, I think I said it to John as we walked out of the podcast room and, uh, and went, why did I do that? Why did I not mention it on the podcast we have about Penny Dreadful? Huge compliments for the cinematographer and direction of that one scene where Tiago and Molly are walking to the Crimson Cat, they just the population in that scene, the amount of extras in that scene in their period and period dress and how it was filmed really felt LA being really vibrant in that one Definitely. scene. Definitely. You know, the, the last time they went to the Crimson Cat, it felt like it was, you know, two o'clock in the morning and they were going in really late to go to this kind of party club, this after hours party club. This felt like a really vibrant Saturday night in LA. It looked like a really exciting yeah. uh, set. Well, actually, that was kind of my point. It didn't feel like a set. It felt like something straight out of the 1930s where everybody's going out in their big night out at the end of the week, yeah. you know, exactly the way it should have been set up. But that, that I think was one of my favorite filmed scenes from, uh, from the season. I think the cinematography was great and the direction of how, how it worked was really good. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed that. So I just forgot to say it on our first recording. So I thought I'd say it now. Let's get on to some feedback from our awesome dreadfuls, our awesome faith, fellow petty faithfuls. John, do you want to take the first one? Our, our email from Susan in Canada. Yeah, we got some feedback uh, through. Uh, remember, feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Just send us uh, your thoughts there by either written or you can send uh, an MP3 of a voicemail. And yeah, first up is Susan from Canada. She says... Hi guys, just want to drop you a note to say how much I enjoy listening to your podcast for Penny Dreadful's City of Angels. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to find a quality podcast for the show since there sadly seems to be a lot less people watching compared to the original series. So imagine my excitement when I found the Dreadful podcast. It's great to hear your wonderful and thoughtful discussions every week. Yeah, thanks Susan. Yeah, thanks Susan. Susan, when you do find um, uh, the the accent podcast do let us know so we can listen to it too and, and now to the chris <laughs> don't undersell yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah thanks so much susan uh, she continues some of my favorite scenes this season take place in the crimson cat and this week is no different mm. the music and the dancing always get me even if they often sh- are shown together with dark and violent imagery speaking of the music would you gentlemen know the name of the song 
played when Josefina was dancing with Rico. It starts around 32 minutes, right after Matteo makes up with his mum for the night. I've been searching for it everywhere, but none of the usual music-finding apps was able to give me an answer. Guys, do you know? Because I know I don't. I went back and looked at the scene and went and checked because... The episode's called Sing Sing Sing. It's it's based around the song that was used twice in the episode, the the big band tune, most well known tune, and it's the only different song that's in uh, in the club. I think they play that tune twice, and this other song that uh, that uh, Josephina dances with Flyrico uh, is a, a different tune to that. And I was going, ah, sugar, it's not that easy, unfortunately. Um, it does take a few days for some of the uh, websites that I use to update with uh, with the tracks that are in episodes uh, the one i use is called tune find um usually about two or three days after the episode comes out it, it, they populate the the name of of the song what i think has actually happened is that this may be original score from john paisano because i do, i definitely don't recognize the tune they're dancing to um so this may be something that i might not know until the soundtrack comes out um because john paisano does all of the incidental music and all of the music for the show so this may be a piece that he created i know the uh, the last time the pachucos danced in the crimson cat that was a, an original creation for the show specifically for that dance sequence done by uh, john paisano so uh, so perhaps it'll be uh, on the soundtrack uh, when it comes out but unfortunately i don't know the name of the tune uh, and i'll check back in the next couple of days yeah Good stuff. Uh, finally, Susan says, I can't believe there's only one episode left mm. in the season. Mm. I do have to confess that I am a little disappointed with Santa Muerta and how little she actually did in this season. I know her whole thing is that she doesn't interfere with the living, but it honestly makes her feel pretty inconsequential as a result. Maybe she'll do something to surprise us in the finale. Anyways, I can't wait to listen to your discussion of this week's episode. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Susan from Canada. Thanks so much, Susan, for um, all the thoughts there. Um, I kind of agree with you. I would have liked to have seen Santa Muerta uh, a bit more because every time she has come in, particularly with Maria, I've just really liked um, the dynamic because Maria really does not take any crap from anyone including um sort of semi-religious deities uh, and so on and i think it would have been nice to have seen a little more of her and i think sort of magda in in her in her dark uh leather dress i think um but i i think that's just me i i i kind of would like to have seen a little bit more supernatural like i've really enjoyed the stuff around frank and with maria in her um shrine and grotto mm -hmm. i would have liked a little bit more of a permeation of that you know like we've kind of talked about whether molly is somehow um sort of allowing spirits to move through her and maybe seeing something in the temple that kind of stuff um would would have been really good but uh yeah i i do wonder whether santa murta is gonna um play her hand so to speak yeah. in this finale yeah i think it's probably the headdress isn't it she can't really run down the street with the way the headdress <laughs> is they fall off which she can't have happen because that's her costume so um yeah no i i, I know what you mean um I kind of feel like, as I think we mentioned this already, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I think the one thing the show has kind of been missing is a little bit of the rules around who Magda is and who Santa Muerta is. Um, yep. haven't really heard anything other than Maria say, you pray to Santa Muerta to get the things you want. And then we've heard her say, 
she doesn't interfere in, in the lives of in the lives of people. But having a character like we had Mister Lyle back in uh, the original Penny Dreadful, who gave you the rules of who the vampires were and gave you the rules who of of who Dracula was and gave you the rules of uh, of the demons, you know, yeah, and um, the stories behind the stories it, the, the kind of context of it, because I would have loved to have seen a bit of that with um all of kind of Rio's stuff about the ancient Aztec gods, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the yeah. king the royal kings. I think that, you know, there's so much um around that. E- even just the idea of the sacrifices that were done yeah. to kind of stave off the end of the world, you know, yeah. of of living people. That's true. Um yeah. I think that that would have been really interesting as well. And of course I totally accept that most people wouldn't uh, want to sit around for an episode of uh, somebody reading out of a book and going, this is all the details you need to know for the show. <laughs> I get it, but maybe that's something that might have helped contextualize the character a bit more for what, how, how she would be in the show. Because I think certainly putting out posters for the show with just her visage on the front of those posters, everybody had the expectation they were coming in to see this big supernatural showdown show, which it certainly hasn't been in the end. The supernatural yeah. has been ever present without a doubt, but we haven't had fisticuffs between the two demons yet. So, <laughs> so I don't expect that to happen next episode either, but I, I certainly expect, uh, Santa Muerta and Magda to appear on screen next episode, uh, to close out the series. And then she gets her head dressed stuck in like power lines or something. It's <laughs> just going to be like, Oh no, have to walk under here. I hope she not. Weird. She just kind of walks in and bends over. That's <laughs> certainly electrical conductor, isn't it? <laughs> um, thanks so much for that, Susan. Chris, do you want to give us uh, the other piece of feedback that we have? Sure. Over on Twitter, uh, where you can leave us feedback at TV pod industries, uh, will be said amazing episode. Best one yet. The parallels to the current state of the US just goes to show that John Logan knew, knows how played we still are by bigotry and hate. Mm-hmm. Also loved the family reunion and the line of the episode tomorrow. I'm not off duty. Mm-hmm. Tiago mm-hmm. talking to Fly Rico. Yep. Talked about that scene. Yeah. Loved it. Um, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, John Logan, I, I, I think is just a bit, he, He's been channeling so much witchcraft and supernatural over his years writing um, about Penny Dreadful that he's become a bit of a witch and a prognosticator and a bit of a Nostradamus himself. Mm. Um, who knew? <laughs> I don't think it would take Nostradamus to predict <laughs> no. what's happening, sadly. No. Um, yeah. Sadly, no. I think Absolutely. anybody who you know, had, a, had a good vision of what was actually going on uh, would have unfortunately been able to predict where we are yeah absolutely uh, and yeah thanks will uh mm-hmm. that i also loved the family reunion i think that kind of lightness and happiness even though they had a massive stonking argument <laughs> and even though the the final dance between all the different family members and uh the the new girlfriend were was kind of intercut with that harrowing scene of Lewis being jumped and Diago being um lynched mm. by the the police i think um i think the the family reunion uh, all of that in the crimson cat was just phenomenally done yeah really loved it Excellent. Thanks so much for that, Will. Uh, final piece of feedback is our voicemail from the wonderful friend of the show, Steve Brown. Hey guys, it's Steve, and uh, wow, what a great episode, this uh, second-to-last episode here of, of Penny Dreadful. Um, really, really good. Um, let me start out by saying it was so amazing to see Brian Dennehy. Um, gosh, I didn't know I was going to get welled up by that. Um, but it was really just, he's been 
I don't think I've ever seen anything that I really not liked him in, uh, from, from First Blood and FX and, uh, uh, just so many things that I just flipped through his IMDb real quick and I haven't even come close to seeing everything he's done. Uh, it, so it was amazing to see him again. Um, uh, and sad at the same time. But, uh, that scene with him and his son, it was, was, uh, just, just really, it was heartbreaking, uh, to see how he treated him. Uh, I loved, absolutely loved seeing the Vega family coming back together and, uh, Diego standing up there for Molly and, and telling them that he loves her. And, and then they all sit down and there's kind of a reconciliation. And then that whole scene there at the end with them having fun and, and, and dancing. And at the same time, Michener's struggling in the back of that police van as he watches Diego being lynched by the other police officers, which I was, I was uh, suspicious of, you know, as soon as they came out of the police station, I mean, there were so many cops with him. I was like, why is there so many to take one guy to the train station. And of course we figure out there as soon as they grab him and lock him to the, to the car, the, the van there that we know what's about to happen. And uh, so very, very sad, but it, it's definitely a great setup for the final episode as we see everybody kind of, or at least the Vega family having a good time, the Kraft family out having their little, uh, their time going to the movies. But we know as Rio surveys the Vega family, and we know that something big is coming. So uh, can't wait to hear what you guys thought. Talk to you later. Thanks so much for your feedback, Steve. Really good to hear your voicemail, as always. But I know Steve is going to be away for the finale, so he's not going to get uh, a piece of voicemail in time for our recording for the finale. But remember, we do have our wrap-up episode um, after our 500th episode where you can send in feedback on the whole series. I know Steve's going to send in, hopefully, a voicemail for that. At the start of July, I think we're doing that one. So uh, so hopefully you'll get in in time for that. Yeah, thanks so much, Steve, uh, for the feedback. Yeah, I mean, seeing Brian Dennehy was was great. Mm. Um, yeah. And just that whole scene. Then, you know, again, it was another one of those confrontation scenes that I just loved from this, this episode between uh, Townsend Jr. and Senior um, was just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, really, really good. Yes, thanks, Steve. Um, I I agree with you and Brian Denny. I already brought it up. Um, just remembered there was the one that actually introduced me to him before Cocoon was FX. Oh yes, Murder by Illusion and FX Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great for its time uh-huh. because the whole premise was using like FX to essentially catch killers mm-hmm. or big serial killers and. Yeah, it was cheesy as hell, but my <laughs> God, it gave me a love of, uh, it really did give me a great love of the actual, the, what goes into making a film. Mm-hmm. And then you had Brian Brown in there as well. That's right. As the yeah. other lead cast. And it was just, I've seen that film since definitely early nineties. Uh, at some point, I think it, we owned it on the, on video back in the day and watched it reasonably regularly, uh, cause it was a lot of fun. Uh, definitely. Uh, yeah, sadly missed, uh, Brian Denny. That's, but he, it was great to see him in this, uh, in this final performance, even though he did play a bit of an a-hole with, uh, with his son. Totally get that, Steve. It was a, a, a difficult scene, but a great actor, uh, can pull that kind of stuff off as well. Good catch on the cops, by the way, as well, Steve. We didn't catch, uh, we didn't have an indication when the, when the, that amount of cops led by the evil, uh, detective Frank Murphy, uh, were lining up. We didn't have any indication that they're intending to do. I just assumed they just needed that amount of cops because this is a high profile case. So, uh, I really didn't expect that that's what was going to happen. Uh, so good catch that you had 
some kind of premonition of uh, what was going to happen to poor Diego. Thanks so much, everybody, once again for your feedback. Thanks, Chris, for jumping in and uh, and joining hey. us for feedback. Uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit of fun uh, talking with you about the episode. Sorry you couldn't join us for the full thing, but I know you're going to be back for the finale uh, discussion next week as well. Yep, can't wait to be involved for the next one, and I will be there 100%. Mm-hmm. But gentlemen, it's about time we go back in time. We go back to a time where I was not here. We go back to the f- future? No, we go back to the past, much like Back to the Future Part 3. It's going <laughs> to be, it's not the best. It's a time part. jump. <laughs> it is. It's a time warp, if you will. It's almost like a step to the left. And a step to the right. Put your hands on your hip. And bring your knees in tight. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Gentlemen, back to you for the pub quiz. I think we've put in that feedback piece from uh, from Chris uh, there. But John, do you want to take us on to our final section of the episode? Our Penny Dreadful pub quiz. Yes, it is the Penny Dreadful pub quiz. Let us all head down to the Crimson Cat for a tequila-fueled knees up. We'll laugh, cry, and most importantly, dance the night away uh, for this week's pub quiz. Um, the it's a place qu- to be, it seems. It, it really is. <laughs> Remember, send in your answers to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep those coming in. Uh, if anyone hasn't, uh, please go to our website. Um, you can check out all the questions that we have had th- for this series mm-hmm. of Penny Dreadful Cities of Angels. Uh, and please uh, send in the answers. Um, there are what? Two, well, another episode to go on Penny Dreadful, episode, yeah. uh, City of Angels. We will then be having our 500th, um, episode, uh, where we will be celebrating just the, the, all the, um, TV series that we have covered, mm-hmm. uh, a- along with a fantastical pub quiz as well. Oh, yeah. Better get right and done. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then we will do our roundup episode of um, Penny Dreadful City of Angels, yeah. uh, where we will announce the winner of the Penny Dreadful pub quiz. Yeah. So please, um, yes, keep those answers rolling in. So uh, with that, the question for episode nine, Sing Sing Sing, uh, is what game does Dottie teach Brian Koenig to play? Mm. Yes, what game does Dottie teach Brian Koenig to play? Yeah, that's a uh, good question. Yes, please send in the answers uh through the email yeah. yeah yeah you see it on screen you see them playing it and just so you know where the name is in case you don't recognize she does say it on a phone call in the episode so she does mention the name of this game so look at um, you giving all these tips away i want to give some tips i want i want people to get the answers right so we have a bunch of people uh able to get those penny dreadful city of angels goodies because they're pretty cool yeah the, absolutely. the stuff that we've seen and the stuff that we're going to choose to uh to send out to the person who gets the most answers right is pretty cool uh john mentioned though that the cutoff point for uh for the final answers for the quiz is before our wrap-up episode doesn't have to be in within two days like usual for the final episode so you can get them into us by about the 6th of july i think uh is probably when we're recording our final episode uh this wrap-up episode so you can get them in about then 4th or 5th of july at least um we should be able to include your answers in our penny dreadful pub quiz we want to get as much of as possible yes thank you so much uh, for joining us mm-hmm. as always uh, please say subscribe to the podcast share the love uh, by sharing the podcast um, over on any good or evil podcast catcher of your choice you can rate us leave a review uh we love the support from the community you can also subscribe to us uh over on our patreon uh, just go to patreon.com forward slash tv podcast industries mm-hmm. any uh donation there is 
much appreciated and thanked for helping <laughs> us to uh, maintain uh, the different aspects of the podcast. Your your support in whatever form uh, received is really, really appreciated yep. here by me, Derek, uh, and Chris, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. And you'll get uh, our Captain America Winter Soldier podcast. I think it's about two and a half hours, three hours of us yeah, discussing and, and one of our favourite movies. And there's the whole Penny Dreadful the original three seasons mm-hmm. over there as well. And we will be uh, coming back with some additional uh, podcasts yeah. to the Patreon uh, as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. One other thing that you can do if you want to support us, you can go over to British Podcast Awards slash vote. Pop in our name, TV Podcast Industries, and it'll pop up with the ability to vote for us in the British Podcast Awards. Um it's just interesting that we're that we're able to get into those. So uh, I'm delighted. And thank you so much to all the people that have voted so far. We've I've seen a couple of people over on Twitter uh, sharing their votes with us, showing that they have given us a bit of support, which is really nice. Yeah, it's uh, really nice. Yeah, thank you. Even if we don't get past all the 7,000 BBC radio <laughs> shows turned into podcasts, uh, as they've been doing, even if we don't get past them, it's lovely that you've been supporting us over there. Thanks so yeah. much for that. Yeah. We will be back next week with the finale of Penny Dreadful City of Angels, the final episode Guess what it's called? Day of the Dead. Ooh. The Los Mortis yes. is happening. Uh, yeah. Should this episode come out at, on the 1st of November? Shouldn't that be, like, aimed for them? Oh, t- yeah. it's in, is it? Uh, 31st of October is Halloween, and then I think Day of the Dead is 1st of November. Ah, okay. So, excellent. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, maybe it was aimed for, you know, something that would come out in later on in the year, but great to have it during the summer when nothing else is on television, nothing new is on TV at the moment. So uh, it's a great to have it going on right now. Well, that episode will come out uh, after the episode airs on the 28th of June. Should have the episode out as usual on Tuesdays uh, every week as we get to the end of our big show for uh, for the start of the summer. Absolutely. And also as we get to the end of our Irish lockdown for COVID, we should be yes. able to travel from, I think, the 29th of, uh, of June. So the day after the episode airs, we should be able to travel out of Dublin. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Can't wait. Great stuff. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again next time. Yeah, as always, fellow Dreadfuls and Penny Faithful, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, Can't wait to speak with you next time. And just remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep dancing. But no sleeping on the tables. (laughs) And no singing, Chris. Yes. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.